Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. I'm excited about tonight's conversation. I love to talk about giants. And whether we're talking about the, the Nephilim from the Bible uh, or the, uh, the legendary giant of Kandahar that was supposedly shot and killed in Afghanistan or the Kennewick Man, the skeleton that was uh, discovered on the... Uh, the banks of the Columbia River in uh, Kennewick, Washington, back in, I guess, the mid-90s. We're going to get into all of that and more. Mark A. Carpenter is an anthropologist, explorer, and author. He's worked on Mayan archaeological excavations on the Yucatan Peninsula, analyzing prehistoric Mexico. He's also spent years living alongside various Native American tribes and Polynesians in North America and Hawaii, studying their ancient traditions. His expertise in human origin paradigms and uh, his expertise, rather, is in human origin paradigms and is considered a rogue cultural scholar accusing the scientific establishment of conspiracy to distort human history. Hey, Mark, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I love rogue scholars. <laughs> um, how, did you, how did you begin uh, investigating giants? Well, if we, if we trace it all the way back to its conception, it, it began when I was little. Uh, my family had some property in rural Ohio, and there's lots of mysterious burial mounds, or so-called burial mounds, uh, out in the Ohio River Valley. And we used to drive through towns like Marietta. And I became fascinated. What were these things? Who built them? I, I was just an inquisitive kid like that. 
Um, so that was the genesis of it. And then later formally, I studied uh, anthropology and archaeology. And um, I, I thought as a cultural anthropologist, I was learning about all these different cultures from around the world. Um, but scientifically, I ended up getting redirected towards uh, these ancient narratives about, as you say, giants, Nephilim. I, I found that they're a universal parallel in every ancient culture. Why is it, you suppose, that there is such resistance uh, to exploring the possibility that there were races of giants on this earth? Is it that, that it doesn't, I yeah. mean, evolutionarily, evolutionarily speaking, we're supposed to be, you know, shorter and get taller. Is it because right. it flips that on its head? That's definitely part of it. But I, I, I have found that originally that was what I thought it was exclusively about, was the defense mechanisms of the Darwinian uh, paradigm. And that's definitely part of it. But I think it goes much deeper than that. I think it's, uh, it's got less to do with the fact that they were giants uh, or that they disrupt the evolutionary paradigm and more about the true human history and, and what it all means to us today. So it's really about this ancient culture uh, if you want to call it the Nephilim culture from the Bible, that's fine. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like I said, it's universal to all ancient cultures. And what is, I mean by it is this predecessor uh, culture, this antediluvian culture, um, um, which was of these giants, of which, of which these giants were the ruling elite. I was uh, in Moundsville, West Virginia, and I went to the big mound there across the street from the, 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 the old penitentiary, and I went into the, the Moundsville Museum. And of course, they go to great lengths uh, to tell us that the Adena were not giants. They were just a typical height, maybe five seven, five eight. Um, I, th I just thought that was extraordinary that they went to, to so much trouble to try and you know, disprove the giant... What are your thoughts on the uh, the Adena? Were they were they in fact giants? Well, okay, so it's complicated. Yes, the uh, the mound you're referring to is Grave Creek Mound in Moundsville, West Virginia. I've been there too. I've been in that that um, <laughs> uh, museum, if that's what we want. It's more like a circus uh, sideshow tent. <laughs> um. Okay, so the Adena. First of all, it's important to know that that word, that term, Adena, is entirely the invention of 19th century um, scholars and, and, and historians. So there was no tribe that referred to themselves as the Adena, nor was there ever a tribe that anybody else referred to as the Adena. They were studying these mounds. And by the way, that also goes for Hopewell, mound builders obviously <laughs> right so these are terms that the establishment invented to refer to an ancient mysterious culture now were they regular you know uh, native american indigenous people well this is complicated and i think this is where a lot of the confusion uh resides 
these giants uh, lived alongside the Native Americans and in some cases uh, ruled over them directly. They would uh, subjugate them and the indigenous people regarded them as living gods. And that, that was not and that was not like their interpretation that that concept was forced upon them by uh, this, uh, these uh, vanished races, which is what what early uh, historians did refer to them as. So um, the point is, there may very well have been a regular indigenous tribe, but the ruling elite of that tribe may have had unique physical traits like gigantism or deformed cranium or polydactyl polydactyly that's six fingers yes oh i'm sorry yes polydactyly for those who are not familiar means um extra toes or fingers <clears throat> and and this feature this feature is really really interesting and one that i focus on because it's mentioned specifically in the biblical context of the nephilim in the book of samuel it's, it's furthermore stated specifically as a genetic trait that is passed down from these Nephilim. Now, regardless of what you might think of biblical dogma, we certainly have here an ancient account from the Middle East, very, very ancient, in fact, that specifies this um, genetic uh, group as being well cannibalistic and having these uh, um, having these bizarre genetic traits, and they're also linked to demonic uh, religion culture, right? And 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 so um, when I started discovering these parallels here in the Amer in the uh, uh, North American and uh, Central American archaeological record, not oral tradition in the archaeological record. Now I think you really, we really have something here. We have some degree of, of validation of these ancient narratives. Not all the dogma, of course, but, but some degree of validation. Um, when you say not all the dogma, in other words, mm -hmm. not necessarily the, uh, a, a human fallen angel hybrid in terms of who the Nephilim were. Well, um, that wasn't the dogma I was referring to. Um, um, I, I actually do think they are um, invasive, hominid hybrids. That's how I would, if we want to categorize them scientifically, um, which, of course, they would not care to do because this is all taboo territory for them. But I would say that there were... Uh, invasive hominid hybrid species of humans that were once the dominant force on the earth as as homo sapiens are now until cataclysm and conflict with our species ultimately drove them to the brink of extinction uh, into the most remote wildernesses of the planet and even possibly into the subterranean realm of the uh, planet. I say possibly, but I think absolutely that's what has occurred.
when you were studying anthropology in school and archaeology, I mean, what, how did you maintain this, you know, this academic pursuit without, I guess, I don't know, uh, gain, gaining too much maybe notoriety among your peers and your, and your professors, or, or did you care? Well, well, that, that's what happened, and I, it, 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 it destroyed it. So I, I, I basically just fell on my sword when it came to that point. Because when I was studying the Maya, I was really determined to solve this mystery of the alleged disappearing Maya. And, um, well, not only that, I, I, I also thought that uh, the mysteries of the pyramids could be solved by studying the Maya. And that was why I focused all my attention on these Mayan dignitaries known as Pakal and the Red Queen. These were two pristine royal Mayan burials uh, from around uh, 1,000, 1,200 years ago. And these tombs were contained in pyramids. Anyway, the point is, to circle back to your question, uh, when I started relentlessly studying certain aspects of, of this field, I met with great resistance. And, and at that point, I became, it became hostile at that point. First, there was sort of an attempt to bribe my silence with a job. And, but it was contingent on me changing course of study. And I refused to do that. And so at that point, it became very contentious. And I told them I was going to continue to study it. And that led to the falling out, at which point I, I shifted my focus to English, my academic focus to English uh, in graduate school. So that way I could write independently about what I had learned in, in uh, 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 undergrad. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Kennewick Man. This was um, the mid 90s. This skeleton, yes. skeletal remains of a, a prehistoric Paleo-American found um, on the banks of the Columbia River. And this is in uh, Kennewick, Washington. Um, it's a pretty complete skeleton. Mm -hmm. And it's a remarkable find. Mm -hmm. uh, the Smithsonian claims a skeleton, typical average, you know, five foot seven. Why are you convinced based on the photographic evidence and so forth that it's not five foot seven well it's the totality of the smithsonian's it's a combination of the smithsonian's behavior the way in which that skeleton was presented to the public and the earlier records of the smithsonian before they were really the smithsonian uh, when they were known as the uh, bureau of ethnology and uh, it, it was under that regime uh, that they conducted this frenzy of mound building excavations. So again, we're talking late 19th, early 20th century. We're talking guys like uh, General uh, John Wesley Powell and they, uh, uh, Cyrus Thomas. Cyrus Thomas is the one who coined uh, it might be time Thomas Cyrus. So I can never get it straight in my mind. Anyway, uh, he coined the term uh, vanished race. 
in, in regards to who he determined built this some vanished race was his uh, that's a little taboo these days. We would say vanished culture or vanished uh, civilization. Uh, anyway, I honestly forgot what I, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, that's okay. We were talking about Kennewick man and why, ah, right. why you believe he was not five foot seven, that he might've been right, right, right. seven or eight feet tall. Uh huh. So, well, first of all, the Smithsonian, everything the Smithsonian says about Kennewick man is compromised. Because I have caught them red-handed in a cover-up. Um, if um, if you anyone can go to my blog markacarpenter.com and you can see the, or you can just actually you can just see the photographs uh, from from the original uh, news reports from things like Discover Magazine or Smithsonian Magazine, uh, NPR, CBS. You look at those original photos of the Kennewick Man skeleton. Then you look at the uh, media reports immediately after that, and you see uh, pictures of the replica bones. Now, the original photographs, the Smithsonian would have preferred not to release any photographs of Kennewick Man's remains. But because of the legal uh, firestorm battle that was ensuing, they were caught in a position where they possessed these bones. Everybody knew they possessed these bones. And there was great public interest in a photograph of them. So they could not dispute the existence of these bones, nor could they cover them up entirely. Because mainstream media was beating down their door for photographs of these bones. So... They very cleverly released a few authentic photographs of the real skeleton and then surrounded those by photographs of replicas. But the, the careful investigator looking at these photographs can determine that, and they are on my website for anybody who would like to see them, markacarpenter.com. But uh, you can see very clearly that Kennewick man's skull was radically deformed. Now, we don't have to go into the entire phenomena of cranial deformation in prehistoric times. But suffice it to say, this was a worldwide phenomena that is quite controversial. They say that this is the result of body modification, meaning like uh, infant cradle headboarding, right. for, exa for example. And this is, this is very complicated because, yes, indeed, those practices did and still do occur. However, the more ancient you go, the more deformed these craniums become. And we know for an absolute scientific fact that certain hominid species like Neanderthals, for example, had deformed craniums in, in relation to a homo sapien cranium. So... Uh, this Kennewick man's skull is definitely one that would appear to be genetically uh, warped rather than uh, uh, warped by cranial deformation. And it's the degree of it is really intense. It looks like a, a peanut. It's, it's that uh, deformed. So, okay, moving right along, the photographs also reveal that Kennewick man had six fingers on his right hand. Now, okay, 
the Smithsonian science, Kennewick man was carefully scrutinized by many scientists. Uh, I mean, a, a whole gaggle of scientists. So there's no way that they somehow uh, failed to notice or publicize that he had six fingers and a radically deformed skull. So they, so they, they are now caught here in a cover-up of a radically deformed, ancient, very ancient skeleton, and that's that's very significant on its own. Now, okay, let's get to his height. Right. Well, something else fishy about these photographs is the entire skeleton is photographed contained within an entirely black frame. So there is no there is no frame of reference for his size. And given the fact the scientists have already blatantly lied about the deformed cranium and the polydactyly, any other estimations they give about this skeleton are fatally compromised. They're lying. It's that simple. I mean, um, they and could so settle, they could settle the whole argument and put this thing on display. I mean, you would think. Well, well now well now it has allegedly been repatriated back to ancestral burial grounds mm. allegedly now that seems to be confirmed by the the native americans of the of the pnw i have not yet confirmed I, those are not my i don't have connections with those tribes individual tribes are difficult to to gain their trust and to establish a relationship with them um, I've tried to use various channels to uh, confirm that Kennewick man was indeed uh, reinterred, but I can't verify that right now. But regardless, no one's going to see it again. I can tell you that whether it's in, a, in, in, in the bowels of the Smithsonian or whether it was indeed repatriated, uh, they're never going to. No one's ever going to see hide nor hair of that uh, skeleton ever again. Mark, we'll take a quick time out and we'll come back and continue okay. to discuss giants. The truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Mark Carpenter. MarkACarpenter.com if you want to check out the, um, the photographs of the Kennewick man. Um, to what extent uh, are the, uh, I don't know, the, the keepers of the secret using um, the Amer American Indians as cover? So, for example, to prevent excavations of... Uh, mm -hmm. The, the mounds and so forth. Mm -hmm. You can't touch this. This is sacred land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Well, it's actually really disgusting because these are the same institutions and the same people's establishments uh, that so horrifically oppressed and genocidally murdered the Native Americans that now use uh, uh, alleged sensitivity to their uh, culture as you say, as uh, a cover, as a guise, as a ruse uh, to conceal 
uh, real human history. Absolutely. And you can really tell this when you look at uh, uh, different nations where where the sensitivity and the, you know, it doesn't necessarily apply. Like, uh, for instance, in Mexico, you'll come upon the same cover-up, despite the fact that no Maya are really so uh, upset or sensitive about excavations and pyramids and things of this nature. So yet you still run into the same resistance, even when native uh, 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 sensitivities are, are, are a non-issue. In some cases, the natives like excavating the pyramids um, because they it's like enables them to be like rededicated, um, uh, which was the case uh, at Oxmal at rededication ceremony uh, in the seventies, which was attended by Queen Elizabeth. Interestingly, hmm. and I bring that up because I find it very bizarre because uh, British monarchs and the royals their uh, their schedules are very tightly contained. You know, one week they're meeting with the ambassador to, you know, whatever Zimbabwe or something. And and for her to travel overseas uh, to be present for the rededication and light show of a of a of a, uh, an ancient Mayan pyramid, I, I find very, uh, very interesting. Um, keeping in mind that I'm sorry. What do you think was happening there? Well. Uh, when when pyramids were rededicated, there was often a lot of human sacrifice involved. Uh, at ancient Teotihuacan, now that would be as well. Teotihuacan's an absolute mystery, but 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 when uh, when some early conquistadors were present, they witnessed a rededication ceremony at Teotihuacan in which tens of thousands of people were ritualistically murdered. Uh, it, 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 these complexes often have causeways and at these causeways are a series of altars or lines of altars and these altars on these uh, uh, special days um, would be uh, uh, appeased uh, they, with uh, blood libations and things of this nature and so I, I just find it very interesting that she went so far out of her way to such a politically irrelevant uh, 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 ceremony in which I happen to know involved a great deal of, of human sacrifice. So the implication here or the supposition here is that she, because this was a rededication ceremony, she may have been present during human sacrifices? That's exactly what I'm saying. I, I, I think I, I think you don't have to look around the modern world too hard to see traces of this ancient culture, this ancient uh, Nephilim culture, this antediluvian uh, culture of, of giants and its relationship to demonic worship. Again, even if you would prefer to remove it from the biblical context you can you, you could put it in in ancient greek or roman context or or nordic context of of um well the word giant itself that's where it comes from 
Um, giant actually doesn't mean definition like big, huge person. Giant was a specific word that the Greeks used to refer to an ancient archaic race of humans, which may or may not have been gigantic in stature. Certainly some of them were. Um, and there were very, you know, quite a few branches of this um, ancient uh, race or people or even, I would say, species. I, I think that's where we really get lost from the ancient narratives to modern day. We think only in terms of the Homo sapiens species of human. But we know as a for sure scientific concrete fact that human beings, uh, Homo sapiens, see, even I just did it there. Homo sapiens um, shared uh, this planet with hominid species of humans like Neanderthal, Denisovan, Heidelbergensis, Homo floresiensis. Uh, we shared the planet with them for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. You mentioned that. And, in a yeah, and, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it's, it's very complicated, this, this labyrinth, but, but bringing it all the way home, theirs was this culture of demonic worship. Okay, worship of the old gods, if you will. And now, now, regardless if, if you want to believe that they these are just con conceptual deities of nature or perhaps uh, non-human intelligent life forms, uh, which is what I happen to believe. But regardless, around this culture um, was practiced this uh, demonic witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, in, involving human sacrifice and ritualistic murder and cannibalism and things of these of this nature. And I'm suggesting to you that this culture is alive today, even still. And this is the deep, dark secret that they wish to keep suppressed. All of those um, skeletal, giant skeletal remains, and we, we saw them you know, reported in newspapers in the, uh, the early 20th century, late 19th century, early 20th century. Farmers were digging them up and so forth. Mm -hmm. Smithsonian came in. I mean, is there a, and yeah. of course they were never, they disappeared. Is there a, any sort of a paper trail? Mm -hmm. the Smithsonian took, you know, are there receipts in other words? Yeah, yes, there is. And these are the Bureau uh, of Ethnology reports that I was referring to. Um, there is, it, it's, it's, it's ironic and, and sort of morbidly amusing that um, anyone would think that this is some sort of um, nonsensical uh, theory with no hard evidence to back it up. Anybody who believes that simply hasn't done the research because in the Bureau of Ethnology reports, and there have been books written about this uh, right here. I have, uh, it, it, uh, it's written by uh, Sarah Farmer uh, and uh, Gerald, Gerald and Farmer, Ages of Giants. Uh, they do an excellent, excellent job of combing through the Bureau of Ethnology reports in which they say we have, you know, unearthed, uh, they use terms like uh, unique physical traits, 
and and they they will uh, outline the discovery as seven foot six you know seven foot six inch tall giant with warped skeletal features uh and so yes there is indeed a paper trail now it's incredibly fuzzy i mean we're talking you know we're talking reports uh early archaeology you know which was haphazard at best um so uh you you also find uh reports in the historical uh, uh archives of just local townships you know because they had historians who documented these things and 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 people read those now and they're like hmm, well i don't know you know what to make of this they're absolutely 100 percent uh legitimate um uh I, I i have several of them but they they're all it's all the same story just like you said um a, a burial mound was excavated a big weird skeleton was discovered officials from the smithsonian have swept sw swooped in and uh they're taking it off to be studied in a laboratory somewhere so are they were they destroyed do you think I don't know, dumped in the ocean, burned, or is it possible they're mm -hmm. thinking like Indiana Jones, there's a big warehouse somewhere? I I would say they're keeping them. There is a very tiny bit of evidence that they may use them somewhat ritualistically. Or or perhaps they're just displayed in in a ritualistic manner in some uh in some subterranean catacomb. You know, where they do their uh, secret fraternity rituals and discuss the oppression of humanity or whatever it is they do. Bohemian uh, Grove. I'm sorry? Maybe at Bohemian Grove. Yeah, well, well, I would say it's no, it's no coincidence that some of these secret societies are named things like Skull and Bones mm. or or uh, the Freemasons. The masonry they're referring to is the ancient megalithic masonry of the Nephilim. And that is the sacred geometry to which they refer, which they display at places like Washington, D.C., with your giant obelisk in front of a reflecting pool. This is, a, this is an, an ancient... Uh, antediluvian uh, uh, display of uh, uh, pagan um, uh, culture, but it, it's actually much more than that. But we can just leave it there uh, to keep it to keep it from getting too strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but um, you know, it's it's an occult practice is is what I'm getting at, and. Um, uh, yeah, and I so you know are are they just sitting around in a in a in a chamber somewhere uh, where they're better off forgotten? Are they studying them? Are they using them in some occult fashion? I really can't say, um, but I would say they have not destroyed them unless unless it was part of some ritualistic destruction, perhaps. All right, Mark. Another time out. Back with more in a moment. Sure, sure. It's time to redefine reality. 
This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We're talking giants with Mark Carpenter. MarkACarpenter.com. MarkACarpenter.com. The links are in the episode notes. All right, so the Kandahar giant, the, this story, I don't know. I heard it first from Stephen Quayle on, on Coast to Coast. I don't know if he broke the story, but uh, this... I don't know, they were, they were rangers, U.S. Army rangers looking for a missing, their missing comrades in, um, in a desert area of Afghanistan. They went to a cave uh, where they, I guess the, range, the, the missing soldiers were last seen and out storms this 12 to 15 foot red-headed um, giant with two rows of teeth and, and six digits. Uh, where are you with with that mystery are you uh is that is that credible what are your thoughts okay well <clears throat> i i try to remain objective and not and not be a slave uh to my own to my own biases now i i have personally uh come across irrefutable physical evidence of big ancient giants not referring to kennewick man and i'll, I'll get to that in a moment but so, you know, I, I, I can't say that um, something is true or not just based on a story. But I will say that the research I'm about to talk about does reveal that 12 foot uh, hominids did exist. Geographically speaking, it would make sense uh, that uh, that species would be in that general realm where they found it. And the Bureau of Ethnology records previously mentioned do discuss two rows of teeth. Now, theoretically, the guy telling the story could have, you know, he, he could have superimposed that detail. But that but perhaps he wasn't clever enough to do so. I don't know. The point is that there is written reports of skeletons found with the two rows of teeth. I find the red hair detail interesting. And I find that a, a credible detail, uh, a, a meaning a detail that speaks to his credibility, because I happen to know from genetic studies of, of hominid species like Neanderthal reveal that they most likely were redheaded because they, a gene that keeps popping up uh, a chromosome it was one that we associated modern humans with red hair. So the evidence, the physical uh, genetic evidence is telling us that Neanderthal had red hair. And I personally had made uh, connections to the Neanderthal and, 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 Neander and, and uh, other larger uh, hominid species, which, and, and I think there's actually uh, evidence within the uh, ancient traditions as well that links this red hair. Okay, so real physical evidence of giant, because they, they say Kandahar Man was something like 12 feet tall, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, okay, so in 2008, in a cave in Siberia, Denisova Cave, scientists emerged with uh, a tooth. The tooth is huge, absolutely huge. It's a molar. 
you can you can also see this on on my my website. You can also just do an internet search for like giant Denisovan tooth. It, it will come up. Uh, I believe the Smithsonian article is called something like "Huge uh, Denisova Tooth Reveals New Human Ancestor." Now this tooth is absolutely unbelievably monstrously huge this tooth and and see in in the anthropological world it's no mystery that huge tooth means huge jawbone means huge skull means huge torso and absolutely with primate species they have found nothing more than a tooth and a jawbone and made relatively accurate estimations as to how tall and large that particular primate was so they have that here they have giant tooth they have giant jawbone and what it equals is gigantic denisovan hominid i would say yes in the range of the kandahar giant story 12 feet tall there's no way that thing was any less than 10 feet tall and that's really conservative it could have been 13 or 14 as huge as this tooth is What's it going to take to bust this story wide open? It, it, I guess what an, an amateur anthropologist or or a rogue anthropologist who's not, I don't know, beholden to a larger institution for grant money or tenure who's going to make a discovery. What do you think it's going to take? Well, I'm I'm working on it, you know, <laughs> but um, I'm not sure. You know, the public is so spellbound. Um. And, and they, they have such a firm vice grip on the consciousness of humanity vis-a-vis -vis their technocratic uh, mind control uh, mechanisms. And so um, I, I don't know that we're ever going to see this like full awakening. I, I actually dread, and I'm afraid I have a bit of ominous warning um, that I, my research indicates that this species is still alive. They're not extinct. And my concern is there will be uh, an eventual reemergence of this hominid invasive hybrid species. And when this occurs, humanity will mistake them, probably by, on the advice of the authorities, that these are non-humans from some distant planet. But they will, in fact, not be distant uh, uh, visitors, but rather our ancient nemesis who's just been hiding and and sort of re uh, reestablishing themselves, waiting, uh, waiting to reemerge and and to uh, finish their business with with Homo sapiens, which is not good. Are they related to Bigfoot? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Bigfoot is a subspecies of them. I have a bit of a I have a bit of a problem with the term Bigfoot because based on a large footprint, you could be talking about a dozen different variations of these species, uh, some some more hostile than others. Um, it may even when you when you really get into the nitty gritty of this, what you find is a, a, a kaleidoscopic mosaic of genetic hybridization over tens of thousands of years, 
And the result was all manner of freaky, spooky, uh, allegedly mythological hybrids. And to what extent this species has died off or that species has died off is so incredibly impossible to tell. All we know is that there are definitely quite a few strange ones out there on the periphery, uh, seemingly darting in and out of, of, of mountains and uh, rock formations. That's another thing. They're not homo sapien. So we have to open our imagination as to what another species uh, equal to or greater than ourselves might be capable of. And this is where you get into the strange supernatural aspects of Nephilim and Bigfoot and the Jintun or the Yaren or the Mank or whatever you want to call them. When you're talking um, about these strange yeah. attributes, are you talking mm -hmm. about uh, shape-shifting capabilities? Are you talking about um, an interdimensional facet? The interdimensional thing is really, really complicated um, because I think that in order to answer that, we really need to carefully define what that means. Um, certainly, there are some hints towards that when you go back into the ancient uh, tradition. Uh, certainly, the ancient paradigm includes belief in a multi-dimensional existence. Furthermore, that this multi-dimensional uh, existence is navigated by ancient beings. But I think that really more applies to the progenitor of the giants, meaning these uh, angelic or, or uh, the jinn, as the Arabic tradition calls them, or the asir, or, or, or whatever you, whatever you want to call them. Um, they seem to be the interdimensional ones. Um, I want to do, I do want to talk about shape-shifting. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, many people are familiar with the Native American Southwest tradition regarding the skinwalker. Yes. In Chaco Canyon, archaeologists have discovered two really, really interesting and very related, uh, things, discoveries. They have found that the ruling elite of Chaco Canyon which, by the way, is this cluster of really, really bizarre ancient uh, ruins. Uh, they, they found that the ruling elite were polydactyls, six-fingered. They also find, now you're going to have to dig harder to find this because this is taboo. Um, but uh, if you research the work known as Mancorn uh, by Professor uh, Christy Turner, he's now deceased, Professor Christy Turner found that there was a great deal of ritualistic cannibalism occurring in Chaco Canyon as well. So you've got six-fingered elite rulers practicing strange occult rituals and uh, 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 cannibalism. Now, really quickly, this uh, and, and in that same region, right, we have the legend of the skinwalker. The skinwalker effect, for those who aren't familiar, was achieved through occult purpose, through occult methods. So the practitioner would wear the skin of a, a hide of a freshly killed animal, uh, imitating its locomotion uh, to a certain uh, frequency and pitch of the chanting. 
And this uh, entire effect achieved the shape-shifting transformation. Now stay with me. <laughs> but if we, if we take this back to our ancient tradition about the Nephilim, the biblical source, we find the Amalekites. And the Amalekite, the Amalekite literally means blood liquor. And according to the, uh, according to the, and the, the book of Enoch 7 says that the Nephilim practiced cannibalism. The Michael Jordan of rabbis, um, uh, uh, Rashi, French medieval rabbi, he interpreted the Malachites as cannibalistic sorcerers and shapeshifters. And he said through their uh, demonic cannibalism, they were able to shapeshift into animals. And this is why the edict was given to annihilate all of the women and children and livestock, which many people misinterpret as the Hebrew deities like extreme uh, cruelty or genocidal nature. No, 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 no. He, he was attempting to thwart uh, the spread of an invasive species. And, and this, this invasive species is uh, insanely vicious and evil and demonic. And, and this is why there wasn't a genetic agenda to eliminate uh, their bloodline. And, they are, and it was a failure, you know, just as the narrative says. The narrative says that this agenda failed on account of Saul's refusal to do so. And it would seem there's some validation here because we find six-fingered cannibalistic demonic cults present less than a thousand years ago in New Mexico. He did not uh, allow for the, uh, the, pro the, the thorough chlorinating of the gene pool, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Mark, absolutely fascinating. I want to have you back on again uh, in the not-too-distant sure. future. Thank you so much. This is absolutely incredible information. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really glad that um, people like you are doing what you do so that people like me can get these things to the public. We'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.